You're listening to Joe List's Mindful Metal Jacket on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's episode of Mindful Metal Jacket. I am here still under lockdown. Not under lockdown. That's dramatic. Quarantining. Self-quarantining, I guess it is. Anyways, I'm here and uh, healthy so far, physically. How are you guys doing? Anybody have corona? I know a few people, um, but I've heard that we're in a better spot now. I think it's uh, like the deaths or new cases went down the last couple days or so, and they think maybe we reached our peak in New York. I don't know. I'm trying to avoid the news as much as possible. We talk about this. So I try to, I'm trying to avoid social media as much as possible. Got into a little hairy situation a few days ago. Didn't enjoy it. It was unpleasant. Um, so I'm trying to minimize that. But I appreciate all your kind words. I had a birthday and I got uh, an exceptional amount of message. Too much to even, too many to even read or favor or respond to. So if you sent one, know that I appreciate it. Um, it was really touching. And I'm glad to know that I have uh, touched your life in any way. And I appreciate you have touched mine. It's a give and take. And uh, I appreciate you. I love you. I appreciate you listening. Glad you're here. Um, I say this at the end of the podcast, just recorded it with Sarah. Sarah Talamash is on. That's my wife. It was easier. We're both here. So um, we just did it. Greg Stone, I think, will be on next week. We were going to record today, but he lost somebody close to him. Not of COVID, I don't believe, but death is death. So I think we're going to record later in the week. So look forward to that. Sarah's on today. We talk about some of her childhood trauma. It's... uh pretty pretty shocking quite frankly and uh, we talk about social media and the quarantine a little bit and i allude to politics but not too much cuz i know some of you can't handle it so um it's a good episode we just finished recording i've never done an intro this close to the recording we literally just finished and um i hope you enjoy it i hope you're doing well hope you're taking care of each other um, Dan Harris, every day, somebody sent this to me, a fan, I appreciate you, sent me, he's doing a live um, meditation with a different um, meditation um, figure, leader, whatever you call it, Buddhist, every day, it's on YouTube, 10% um, Happier is the channel, and I've been doing it every day, and I love it, it's nice, Tara Brock, who I talk about a lot, is on there, and Jack Cornfield, who of course I talk about a lot, is on there. Um, oh my God, I just realized I forgot to get a quote ready. Holy shit. Maybe I'll grab my Pema Chodron is the closest book to me. I better get one. Um, that's another one you can, you can read a lot. Cornfield, I love. And uh, I'm just opening up to a random page because I want to give you guys some love. I hope this isn't um, one I've already read. Here's one. Here's a little love from you from Pema Chodron. Bodhisattva speech communicates respect for yourself and others rather than disrespect, aggression, and polarization. It is a speech that comes from the heart and communicates to the heart. That's actually quite apt of a quote for what we were just uh, discussing. Sarah just came out of the bathroom. The door is very squeaky. That's what you were hearing. But anyways, um, yeah, speak for yourself and others. Speak respect. Oh, God, it's all ruined. Damn it, Sarah. Bodhisattva speech communicates respect for yourself and others rather than disrespect, aggression, and polarization. It is speech that comes from the heart and communicates to the heart. I guess what it's saying is be nice and be nice to yourself. For God's sakes, you deserve it. Be as nice to yourself as you would be to somebody else. Here's Sarah Talamash and I. Thank you. God bless. I love you. Hi, everybody. I'm here with Sarah Talamash. Say hello, Sarah. Hello. I probably I gave a nice intro and talked about how wonderful you are. That was really sweet. Yeah. I haven't done it yet. But <laughs> I was thinking about it. I will do it. I'm thinking about doing it. How are you doing? Sarah's wearing um, biker shorts and my, um, what's that called again? What's that brand? A fleece, Patagonia? No. L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean. I bought an L.L. Bean fleece. It fit perfectly. I loved it. I fell in love with it. I wore it for like 10 days because I had a feeling it might shrink. And then it did. And now it fits Sarah perfectly. I've gotten sweatpants from you from that. Jackets. 
Yeah. Um, my legs. I have to tell you, biker shorts make me look like um the underwear that Robin Williams wears for Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it's a, a fashion trend right now that people girls are wearing it with blazers and a heel. Then I'm like, ugh. Girls are um they're not doing great fashion. I don't know who's choosing the fashion. It's not for you guys. No, it's not. But that, it, it's a also doesn't work out for you because it feels like it's not comfortable. It's not like biker shorts and super high jeans are extra comfy. No, apparently um, good jeans are supposed to hurt. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. All right. Well, we better get off of this topic, but we're here in our apartment. We're quarantining together. Um, I think we're on week four. We're on week four. Here. And uh, how's it going? How's it going for everybody else? Write in, call in. Are you with your wives or husbands or boyfriends or girlfriends? Yeah, how's that going? Yeah, it's pretty nice. But what's interesting is I feel like we're not even hanging out that much because we go to our separate areas and we work. Yeah, I went downstairs for a bit. I've been enjoying the downstairs work yeah. area. Well, for the first few weeks, I was going downstairs. I feel like we're switching here. You yeah. pulled a fast one on me. I lost the downstairs. Um, but yeah, we have a downstairs here, which I've talked about before on past podcasts, which our landlord is not charging us for during the pandemic, which is really nice. Well, I wondered, would we have gotten it knowing that there is a pandemic coming? We probably would have been like, can we wait until the pandemic's over? Yeah, we would have said, no, it's an extra money. So he's not charging us, which is very nice and thoughtful. And that's something that you have to look at that's nice is um, it's like that Mr. Rogers quote where they're like, look at all this disaster and horror. And he's, and his mother would say, yeah, but look at all the people helping. I think that's a good thing to do. I'm trying to do that. There's like thousands of people volunteering. Our landlord is giving us a break. I know one famous rich comedian who just donated a gigantic amount of money to the comedy seller. And there's a lot of donations going on. Um, but doesn't this give you a window into like how, and I don't want to get political here on the podcast, but socialism really is quite... Nice. I guess the issue becomes with people is if it's forced, if they're forcing you to. Yeah, yeah. But in a situation like this where everyone loses their jobs, it feels like all of America, including libertarians and the rightist right wing people are like, hey, why don't the rich people give us some money while we can't work? Well, Bill Gates is working for a vaccine right now. Yeah, he's been doing that. He he warned about he's this pretty, pretty good in that department. Oh, he's like, <laughs> he's pretty good. He's like the greatest <laughs> philanthropist in history. Um, yeah, no, he's great. And by the way, he was warning. I haven't watched it yet. Sometimes you ever do this where someone will tell you about something and then you just use it as a thing that you've consumed? All the time. All the time. Where I'm like, well, Bill Gates gave that big keynote about how this pandemic was coming and we weren't ready for it. Did you know that George W. Bush also did it that it will happen and we probably won't be prepared for it that article i did read that was uh yeah in 2005 he read the book pandemic or whatever it was called about the flu and he was like hey boys get in here we got a problem and everyone was like shut up you fucking idiot they're like oh that'll happen over in asia that's not anything we need to worry about yeah so bill gates has been talking about it that's why it's fun when you hear certain people again i won't name names that they may or may not be leading the free world being like, no one knew this was could happen. No one even thought this was even possible. And you're like, oh, there's actually quite a few people. In fact, there was an entire team oh, set up for this. There's that grocery store chain in Texas, H-E-B. They already did a practice run of this years ago and started preparing for it in 2006. Yeah, it's amazing. We're being outplanned by a grocery store. <laughs> If whoever who's running HEB, they should we should elect them. They should run as the Democratic. Yeah, nominee. they gave their employees all like a two dollar raise during the pandemic because they knew that it was going to be insane. Well, that's nice. See, that gives you some hope. There are companies that are nice. Yeah, Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's is good. They give like the lowest people a raise whenever they get more money or something like that. Yeah, they're um. They do like a ratio. Yeah. Portion portion control or something. Portion control. But their buyers aren't doing portion control. No, they're fat. (laughs) That's what we're saying. We're here to fat shame. This is the fat shaming podcast. We're fat shaming and quietly talking politics. And um, anyways, so my anxiety levels are through the roof. I did well for a week. Yeah, you had a bad Saturday. Now it's washed over until now. Yeah. Well, it's we've talked about this on the podcast before I talked about it uh, in like the introduction last week is everything you're dealing with before this is going to be heightened and worsened. And my therapist always talks about 
when you go through, like you go through therapy and you improve and you get better in all these ways, if you have anxiety or panic or depression, therapy helps you to improve and maybe you meditate or whatever it is, you connect, you reach out, whatever your tools are. But when you're hit with a crisis, something happens, the immediate um, thing is to fall back to old habits. That's yeah. natural. So if you're doing, if you're listening and that's happening to you, just know that that's uh, normal. Yeah, your routine has been rocked. Yeah. And as soon as like, like if you go through a death or whatever it is, all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I'm shitting my pants again or, you know, sucking my thumb or whatever. Yeah. I've, I've told this story a bunch before, but I'll tell it again. It's about how when I was a kid, my aunt Betty, I have a bit about it. My Aunt Betty told me there was like a man, she was afraid there was going to be a man behind the shower curtain because she watched Psycho and she was a psycho. And she told me that when I was a child. So I would check behind the shower curtain every time I went in the bathroom for like my entire childhood for like 20 years. You ever do that? Yeah, I still do. Well, because I had that, there's my neighbors were bludgeoned to death when I was in elementary school. Oh yeah. Well, you really <laughs> ruined my story by going right into the, your neighbors were murdered. Well, hold on. I want to come yeah, back yeah, to that because yeah, we'll that's like, that. that's going to be the star of the show here, but that's a nice tease. Yeah. It's like we're doing it Tarantino style. Sarah's neighbors puppy. were beaten to death with a hammer when she was a child. A crowbar. A crowbar. Excuse me. Um, anyways, my aunt Betty told me to look the, the, the guy behind the shower curtain. So I would check behind the shower curtain every time I went to the bathroom, like 20 times a day, which I still go to the bathroom 50 times a day. Sarah pees yes. once a week. I don't drink any water. Um, but then I stopped into like in high school. First of all, I think because I was running eight miles a day, I had no anxiety in high school or very little because I think I ran cross country and track. You're also really busy in high school. You have school, you have a nice social life, and then you're athletic. That's true. Well, All of that stops when you graduate. Yeah, but I'm busy now and busy gives me anxiety. But I, I do think a lot of it was that I was running. I also got into a mode in high school of like, I managed to see that none of this matters. Like, what I, There was a period of my life where I did not care what anybody thought. And that was in high school. And I was silly. I had my friends and I was really connected to like, I'm popular. My friends like me. I'm a good athlete. And, um, I had fun. I didn't give a shit. Like I did crazy weird shit in high school. And I was like, who cares where it's fucking high school This is a joke. Yeah. Um, and now I care deeply what everybody thinks, which is my biggest flaw and issue. But anyway, so I would check behind the shower curtain. I stopped in high school cause I was running and felt good about myself. And then the night of nine 11, nine 11 happened. And that night I went into the restroom, the bathroom at my parents' house and just checked behind the shower curtain. And I noticed, I was like, oh, I just went back into that habit. Like I was looking for bin Laden or whatever, but it was because this trauma happened, this scary, weird thing where everything felt unsure and crazy. And I went back to this like strange childhood, um, phobia and compulsion. Now, when you checked the behind the shower curtain, are you already sitting down with your pants around your ankles? Because that's the only time I check in our bathroom. And I always think you should have checked before you did this because now you're in the most vulnerable position. Yeah, you just have to waft your little pussy smell at him and hope he's like, oh, <laughs> uh, no, I would check. I would leave the door open. I would check before I close the door. I would look in the bathroom and be like, OK, I'm safe. And then I would shut the door and then I would masturbate. Yeah. Um, that reminds me of my friend Artie Januario, who's a, a comedian in Boston. He's older. He's, I don't know, probably in his 60s now, but. He said he would always start his car. He was from Revere in Boston, an Italian family. And he would still, to this day, start his car with the door open and one foot on the street in case somebody was blowing his car up. Just because his uncle taught him that, like in 1958. That's so crazy, because like, how many people did you know die that way? Like, it was probably just one. Your dad tells you that, and then you feel like that's what you need to be doing. Yeah, there's weird things that just connect with your brain that you're like, okay, I guess that's what we're doing. Yeah. So he still does it. He's just always starting the car that way. It's I've been in the car with him, and he does it. Yeah. One of these days, hopefully it'll pay off. That would be amazing if somebody blew his car. <laughs> just a bad set. It giggles. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get into it now since you teased it. Because I think, sometimes I think you like downplay this. You're like, ah, yeah, it was crazy. I think I'm like, this has a serious effect on your life. Um. Well, so, yeah, I guess in a way because 
you grew up in the suburbs, which just kind of always told you like, this is the best place to live. And I grew up on a cul-de-sac and it was, but then like, I don't know, as I got older, you start realizing like the suburbs have a huge, like a really dark underbelly or maybe the neighborhood or town that I grew up in. But my neighbors in 1986, I think it was the summer. It was definitely the summer were, um, they lived two houses or three houses down and they were in the cul-de-sac area named the McMillans and they got bludgeoned to death with a crowbar and it was a random occurrence. Um, and it was- the guy went to Kingwood. That's where I'm from. He was graduated. He already graduated. He was like maybe two years prior. The murder or the victim? The murder. And then he went to school with their kids. They had eight. No, that he came from a family of eight. Um, Peterson was his last name. And he, I guess, from what I gathered, randomly selected a house, didn't really steal anything. I think one, maybe a watch and ruffled up some of the papers. We always suspected that it was weird. <laughs> he ruffled the papers. <laughs> like he came in and just folded. Kind of Take like that. When you're like, oh, you kiddo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then he beat them so badly with a crowbar that they thought their heads were blown off with a shotgun. It was a really brutal heinous crime for no reason and it could have been any one of our houses yeah that's jarring i mean i would carry that with me the rest of my life that didn't happen and i live my life like i'm gonna get murdered yes. all the time so take me through your experience though so how do you find out how old are you i was in 86 i must have been in second or third grade so you would have been eight yeah i was eight, eight. i remember it was when Spaceballs came out because that's how our everybody's parents they all took us to watch Spaceballs to get our minds off of everything and it kind of worked yeah i'm sure it works for a couple hours but you have the subconscious that's what's so crazy about all this stuff is the subconscious yeah you everything even that you feel. thought was safe is out the window you were no longer i felt like i was no longer safe the other thing too which is weird on the news at the time, all it was about in pop culture was all about drive-by shootings. Oh, right. So I remember there was a big window I'd have to walk by in order to get upstairs, and I would run by it as fast as I could up and down. Because I, either I thought it was like a drive-by, which probably wasn't going to happen in the suburbs. Yeah. And or a guy just like peering through the window yeah, the window's the scariest. Well, I, I think I've told this story somewhere before, but my cousin, Kim, who you know, obviously, she, Sarah's my wife, uh, <laughs> Kim was babysitting at um, my grandparents' house, which is now my aunt and uncle's house. And I don't know if you've actually ever been to that house, but it's an old house in Milton, Massachusetts. And it's this old, decrepity, white house, like... It's like you would shoot as a horror house. Like it's got white paint chips all coming off, or it did then. And they have a big window in the front by the living room. And she was babysitting my cousin, who is now 18. So this was, you know, 17 years ago. But he was a baby. And she was, you know, holding him and put him in the crib or whatever it was and stood up. And there was a man in the front yard, like in the dark. You could so bathe by streetlight looking into the window and she was like, ah, and she called 911. And this is really weird. And it's creepy to me too. It's like the police came and like looked around the yard and shit. And they never knocked on the door or went in or talked to her. Like there was a man outside. She called the police. They came, responded, but yeah. didn't ever knock on the door, ask her anything or go, okay, it's all secure. He's gone. Or we arrested him or whatever. They just yeah. kind of like and left. Yeah. They probably thought it was just like some guy that was walking his dog. But windows are creepy. Like we have our window here in the kitchen is creepy because it looks directly into the stairwell of the building next to us. And every once in a while, I'll be washing my hands and look over and there's somebody in the stairwell. And you're like, Jesus, fuck. Oh, yeah. I never see him over there. Um, but there is it felt like also in the 80s, like or 70s, peeping toms were a thing. Yeah. No, I was doing it in the 90s. So, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, um. I've always thought that would be so disturbing is to look out and notice there's like an eye yeah. peeping in. Well, particularly when like if you have blinds, when you lift one blind, I'm always afraid there's going to be a face right there. That's yeah, like yeah, one yeah. of my biggest Ugh, fears. Creepy. Okay. So you were afraid of drive-by shootings and uh, which, you know, the media likes to do that. Anything yeah. 
they really did make it seem like it was happening all over the place. Yeah, it's similar to like the knockout game has happened a few times. Like someone's just going to run up and knock you out. Yeah. Um, but I always go back and forth with that because I'm like, well, it is happening. So it's worth putting on the news, I guess. Um, but yeah, when you're a kid, everything sounds like it's going to happen to you. I remember watching Webster and people break into his house. Oh, yeah. Like uh, it seemed like a lot of kidnappings were happening during that time period. Yeah, and sometimes I'm like... Don't talk to strangers was always issued in your head. And little did you know that the ones that would do the most damage to you are the ones that live. Yeah, it's actually your fucking... Someone you know. Your uncle that's fucking you up. (laughs) But so when do you find out? So you're eight years old or... Uh, So my dad wakes us up and he's like, kids, and then there are already cop cars all over the street. He's like, I have to tell you something. And then he just told us that our neighbors were murdered. And my dad had to go in and identify and be like, that's them or like this is this looks all about not mainly to point out if anything was abnormal besides the murder like if anything was stolen or so he went into the house yeah he had to go into the house so he's pretty friendly with the guy with the mcmillans, McMillans yeah, yeah they played um, they played like they play um, together um <laughs> poker i think okay and it, it, people kind of knew each other on the street like we were all familiar and all the kids hung out together their kids were a little bit older So we were like, we knew everybody. It wasn't like strange or you knew everybody. So you knew these people. Like if you rode your bike by, they would say, hey, Sarah. Yeah. Of of all the neighbors, though, they probably weren't as the closest. They deserved it is what you're saying. Yeah. They, (laughs) there was a reason. I don't know. Still to this day, I feel like there's more to that story than it, because it can't have just been random. And then he whipped the crowbar into the lake. Is that right? Yeah, he threw it in the lake. And then the guy that night had called, I think, from several gas stations and admitted to the murder. He said, I've done something horrible. Uh, And he gave the address. And then um, uh, I think he turned himself in. And then they were like, where's the murder weapon? And he said, I threw it out there. So they found somebody that had the same build as him. And then they threw it. And then they had scuba divers. And then they found the crowbar. Wow. What if it was the same? It's what if it was the one they threw? Yeah, or they we made got him it. throw it out. Yeah, and they're like, "Wait, that's the one." Um, so your dad wakes you up. He couldn't wait till the morning. Well, it was the morning. Oh, I see. It was like nine in the morning when oh, we were told, but it okay. happened in the middle of the night. I thought that's what I thought. I thought it was like two thirty in the morning, and he's like, "Kids, get out of bed. Come yeah. here, um, watch this." Um, so, did you have a concept of what that well, meant? This is something that has been so weird. I don't, the day before, because I remember the night before being in the bathtub and being like, God, I hope nothing bad happens to my family. Nothing bad happens to my family. Because the day before I had lost my skateboard or something had happened. And we had a a children's committee on one of my friend's driveways. I think that the kid that lived across the street. And there was a car that looked um, like nothing that I had recognized before. And he kind of was slow and he parked on the corner of it. And it made, it creeped me out. Like I got a sick feeling from it. Weird. And I thought I was like, it just seemed so weird. We even made a joke where it was like, maybe that guy stole it. I remember that. Cause it all felt weird. Then when my dad told me this, I was like, unbelievable that I had such a weird sixth sense the night before. And then this happened, but here's the thing. I think in hindsight, and they did kind of check up on it, on what I had told. First of all, I didn't really got the feeling that they valued my opinion because it was a kid. So they did question you. like the, the I didn't police? get questioned by a cop, but my dad had told them what I had saw. But right. what I think what ended up, I just had, <laughs> it was probably a housekeeper's boyfriend or husband who was Hispanic coming to pick them up. And right. it was probably not in the best car that I had. Because I grew up in upper middle class or middle class neighborhood. So I had probably like light racism happening. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you saw the guy. I wasn't him. It was, I, I'm i assuming it was probably some a housekeeper's boyfriend picking her up from one of the jobs from one of the houses that she worked at. But that's what I mean. You saw that guy. I saw that guy. It right. wasn't. It wasn't the murderer. No. But what if the murderer did steal your skateboard and they used your skateboard? To get away. If they were like, it's a Bart Simpson skateboard is the murder weapon. Yeah, I don't... 
I'm thinking, I'm like, I don't remember if it was my skateboard, but there was, we held a committee and I just remember having that feeling. And it was one of those things where you're like, am I psychic? Yeah. But I, it was just kind of like a coincidence. Yeah. I I remember one time when I was a kid, there was like a, a car parked in between two houses. Like it was just parked, like not directly in front of someone's house, but it was like between our house and the neighbor's house. And it was just there. And I watched it pull up and park and then they never got out of the car. And I remember being so freaked out and like telling my dad and we all just watched this car. Yeah. And it fucks you up because this, like you said, the suburbs to me are scarier than the city because like I have like woods directly behind my house, my parents' house. And it's like someone could just come out of the woods into our backyard and your house is so quiet. And no sleepy. trace. Yeah. Like here in the city, there's people on top of everybody. And- yeah. Our neighbors would hear, I could yell out and they would at least be able to call the cops for me or like, but when you're living in houses that on a big enough property, like no one can hear you. Yes. Yeah, like so it- no one heard them getting bludgeon to death i can hear a baby crying right now. no one came to our rescue when we screamed bloody murder when that mouse was well that's the other thing yeah we had a mouse (laughs) charge at us the other day and i screamed and sarah screamed and we ran into the refrigerator uh, i got pinned in there it was wild but we have a mouse in the house but um but do you think that you've carried that fear and anxiety like did you you have like do you remember being like a very anxious kid before that no, and you know what's weird? I guess I don't have things make me nervous. Yes, and I still like I remember I even in high school I would still sneak out at night on a weekday to meet my friend Stephanie and Catherine. Yeah, and I would run along. We called them green belts, but they were just cemented trails that connected the, the smaller villages that made the whole town. Yeah. I would run along the green belt late at night at 2 a.m. in the morning to go to their house. And I remember being like, this is so fucking scary. Yeah. I mean, the woods at night is the scariest thing because you have the animal factor. But more than that, I always like we grew up in the woods, hanging out in the woods. And it always scared me because there was always rumors that there'd be a person in there or you'd find something like to me, whenever we were playing hide and seek in the woods and you'd see like an old shoe or a shirt, you're like, well, somebody was here. And yeah. that's creepy. Or like there's always jokes about you would remember when you would just like look at porn and it would just be in the woods. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because looking back, that probably belonged to like a 15 year old kid. Yeah, you're and just we were like, hiding oh, it. God. Um, yeah. Like I we played in the woods a lot. And then sometimes we it was a big enough woods. And then every now and then you would run into another group of kids that you've never met before. And you're like, this is weird. Well, that was scary, too. Uh, to me, I mean, I was a kid. I was afraid of everything as a kid. Like swimming, the you know the ocean, boats, fly, everything. Every, I mean, everything you could be afraid of. But to me, like bumping into kids from like another school or kids you didn't know or older kids was scary. Like if you're in fifth grade and you bump into an eighth grader, you're like, oh my god, are they gonna rip our panties off? And oh yeah, beat us up or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it was scary. And like this all of that. Rapist eight-year-old. I think having an older sibling was tough too because they would talk, they would like, liked scary. My sister liked scary. I remember her talking about how she was afraid of someone breaking in the house. And then I was always afraid someone would break in our house or like. I always had that. I had, I didn't like addicts um, or knowing that some, like, remember that, I forgot that scary movie with Carol Kane. She's a babysitter. Oh, yeah. It's coming from inside the room. Yeah. I think it's called the babysitter. I thought it was like while you were sleeping or maybe it's one of those. It's a movie that it's a joke premise that every or punchline people, the calls are coming within the house. Yeah. It's a movie that it's like one of the most famous and effective opening scenes. And then the rest of the movie is shit. Blah. Yeah. Yeah. It's just stupid. Um, You know, there's I know a family that actually that had happened. There was a guy living in their attic and they had no idea. This is horrible. Jesus. He that he ended up brutally raping the mom oh my god were you a kid for that too no this was later on in life and then actually this story is actually uh a, a, an actress in hollywood that's been on a lot of tv shows it's her family when they were wow. living in the midwest or something like that that's what i always wonder about like having kids is like the 
and Chris Allen and I talked about this on an earlier episode of like how much to let your kids know and how much to protect your kids from like, Oh yeah. We've talked about this with my family. My family will just talk openly when I was a kid. And now with the young kids, my family are just talking about death and cancer and how you can just die of a heart attack all of a sudden, like stuff that you're like, Hey, can we knock it off? Like these kids are going to get in their head, but you have to like teach your kids that it's a dangerous world and to be cautious, but also not too much that they're just terrified of everything. Cause that's how I feel. I feel like I got too much information. Oh yeah. Well, you're just like, it felt, feels like you were just told that, um, you're always going to be kidnapped. Yeah. We had to have a secret word and there's people that could kidnap you and then people could rob you or jump in. And then you have actual things happen. Like my, my cousins got mugged down the street from my house and that scared the hell out of me. And I think I talked about this recently too, or like that nobody, I talked about this with my therapist, I think like my uncle, who's only four years older than me and my neighbor and my cousin all got robbed. They went to walk to seven 11. They're coming back. And these three kids jumped out from behind trees and like attacked them and took their shit. And I was 11. It was during the 93 world series. And I came home, they came home and they were like, we just got robbed. And they called the police and it was this crazy thing. And nobody ever took me aside after anything was like, we're going to be okay. Sometimes stuff like this happens. It's They're just fine. an occurrence. It doesn't happen often. It's just like an unfortunate event that happened. Yeah. And like, and how do you feel? Do you want to like yeah. talk about it? Like we can, there was, it was never addressed to me. Understandably, they were concerned about the kids that actually got mugged or whatever, but they were older. So they kind of had, you know, some understanding of life. I yeah, remember just yeah. being like, oh my God, I'm going to get mugged. And I mean, you talk about, feeling slight racism after that i was like okay black people are just gonna run out of the woods and attack <laughs> us and nobody taught no that either you're like no that's just like a bad those are just bad kids yeah these and that three, happens and no matter what race. yeah these yeah. assholes did this thing but i definitely had that for years of like jesus that's Stay crazy yeah yeah <laughs> and like my high school had two black and i was close well, we had close black family friends so it wasn't yeah. like that crazy of a deal but they were like, it was still like, all right, gee. And I was afraid of the wood. Every time I walked by that spot, I would walk out into the street a little bit to yeah. be like, I want to stay away from those trees right there. And I remember my parents would always do the, um, they'd always be like bloody teenagers. So that I got in my mind that like teenagers were just like awful. Yeah. They are still the scariest to me. They are. If you see when I see a group of teenagers walking down the sidewalk, I am like, I don't want to pass them. I usually change to the other side of the street. Yeah. Well, you had that incident on the train on the subway platform, right? Where they were all yelling at everybody. Yeah. Wasn't that you? They were trying to go like as oh, people yeah, yeah. walked by. That, I'm like, I, I know that that happened, but that kind of stuff you see all the time. Yeah. Well, I had the one where I was on the subway and it was like all my worst fears. We're just talking about trauma here on this episode. Um, we should get into some solution of Trump, I guess, but... Oh, I have some solutions after. I was on... Yeah, that sounded <laughs> fucking... Like, I'm, I have some products I'm going to try to sell afterwards. Well, it sounded like you're like, yeah, you lock these kids up. <laughs> like, you're like, oh, geez. Oh, no, no, mine's um, easier. But I was on the subway uh, here in New York, and I was heading to Hot Soup, um, Gary Veter and Mark Norman's show, and Matt Ruby. And I was on the last train car, and it was like you know, eight o'clock at night. So it was an empty train and there was like a sleeping, like homeless guy or some kind of drunk sleeping guy on one end of the train car. I was alone on the other end of the car. And then at Queensboro Plaza, this young group of like teenage kids, punk kids got on. There was like seven of them. And the ride from Queensboro Plaza in Queens to 59th Avenue, Lexington Avenue, 59th Street in Manhattan is like a long ride. It's underground. So there's no cell service and you're, it's like a five minute ride. And they started yelling at the sleeping kid and spitting on him, be like, wake up, fuck you. Yeah. And the guy was just like completely passed out. And then they started yelling at me. I was just looking at my phone and I was like shaking because it's seven kids and they're probably like 19, 20 years old. And they're like, if you look up here, I'll fucking kill you. And then the other guy was like, if you keep looking at your phone, I'll fucking kill you. And they're like, you fucking bitch. And they're just like screaming at me. And the train kept like slowing and stalling and stopping. And I was on the last car. I couldn't bail yeah so it was this thing of like all right like i'm just like what afterwards certain comics are like oh i would have fucked them up or i'm like the seven guys like what am i gonna do yeah and they're like in the best shape of their life yeah and this is pre 
MMA, by the way. <laughs> and I'm like, what am I? I'm just going to tune up these seven guys. Yeah. Um, but it was fucking horrifying. And I remember just shaking. And it, but again, it feels like you're a kid. Like you're just shaking, being like, oh my God, what's going to happen? I'm in danger. And all of a sudden, like your body just puts together a shit. Yeah. Like all of a sudden your body's, I have like a huge dump it's I have like, to take. We'll do this. This <laughs> yeah. is all we can do right now. We'll just make a turd. Yeah. And they just make a big log. And <laughs> luckily I got to the train station. I got off. And then I see people like I getting on the train. Throw it at them. That's what your body's just like. Here, use this. Take a shit and whip it at them. That would probably, you know, be successful. That's my plan. That's one of my plans. I always thought that was my plan if I was about to get sexually assaulted. It's just like, piss and shit as much as you can i think that's one of the things that's out there okay that's like recommended that makes me feel good yeah you you came up with it but somebody stole it because i think <laughs> it's in i think apollo had a bit about that uh and is that a fear of yours currently constantly of just being sexually well, assaulted raped kidnapped it is i think after a certain while i don't know if this naturally happens but as you get older as a woman i feel like certain people probably the way that you hold yourself. I'm also not walking home drunk anymore like I did in my early 20s. Right. But you do listen to music loud when I you're walking the I do listen to music. But I, I do usually, when I, if I'm walking home late at night by myself, I usually turn, turn it down so I can hear. Yeah. Um, also, I just want a nice soundtrack if something bad happens. Yeah, if you get attacked. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I feel like I don't get, um, I don't feel like I get fucked with it, but sometimes if I see a guy walking towards me and it's late at night, a lot of the times I will cross the street. I don't care what kind of, if that insults them, I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. I just got to look out for myself on this one. Yeah, I get it. The problem with that, the other problem with that is it's like, even that's not an impenetrable for like the guy's like, Oh, okay. I'll go over there and get her. No, I know. Oh, it's just like, I don't know. It's one. They're also kind of like want to make it as easy as possible. So if you make it any kind of um, crime, that's why I was reading that Malcolm Gladwell. They were saying it's not about the neighborhood. It's all about a certain street. And it's some streets are just easier to do crime on. Yeah. And it, and they realize that there's always one or two streets and thing. And they ask all these prostitutes, like, why don't you move over there? And they're like, well then I'm in a neighborhood that where people know me, even though it's two blocks away. Right. And they're like, this street has got a lot more shadows and stuff like that. Yeah. I guess you want to. So it is about location. Um, it's like real estate, but this one's really funny. I did really feel like the way that I can kind of get over it is now, I don't know if this is good, but I've come to terms that if I die tonight, that is fine. Well, that's a big accepting part accepting of- my murder. And then I feel like you hold yourself differently that way. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I mean, acceptance is the key to everything. I mean, I've, I've said this before, like through AA therapy and Buddhism, the um, one connection between all of them is acceptance and letting go and only can controlling what you can control and, you know, God's will, not thy own, all that stuff. But it's hard to accept that like God's will was for you to get raped in the street. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough to be like, well, like, I guess all this is right, my... God, I'll take it. Yeah, this was my... Uh, whatever my fate or whatever but certainly acceptance and i guess like more so than accepting you know getting attacked or raped but just getting a accepting that i cannot protect myself from everything and it is a dangerous world and we are unprotected well i got before i moved to new york i got robbed at gunpoint and it was not a crazy hour and not in it was in a decent neighborhood in houston it was at like seven o'clock in the evening and it turned out okay. It was scary, but you're actually surprised how you handle yourself in those situations. Like yeah. he asked me to go to, I was with my friend. He asked us, he took our bags and then he was like, I need you to come with me. And then this is the part that was so weird. I remember being like, no, we're not leaving. I'm like, you already got what you wanted. We're staying right here. Cause you, I Oprah was always like, you never go to the second location because your chances of survival are so slim. Way to go, Oprah. I know. But then the other thing after that, you're like, I can't believe I stood up to a guy that had a gun in my face, but I can't 
tell my the boyfriend at the time that I don't want to drive him to his pot dealer's house to get weed. Yeah, that's interesting <laughs> because... Yeah, and that still didn't change you moving forward. Like, you have a hard time being like, we're, we're, we're going to eat at this restaurant. You're not an assertive person. No, but when it came I have to them, yeah. I should put a gun to you and be like, what do you want to eat for dinner? Yeah. And then you could really... Really flourish. Yeah. <laughs> you need a gun. <laughs> but this is what uh, I talk about a lot also, is that the, the, there's a lot of studies that the people that are the most anxious are the best in crisis. Well... Honestly, right now during this quarantine and pandemic, it's not super crazy, but I have to say that I'm doing better than I thought. Like I'm kind of thriving right now. Yeah, well, everything is There's articles bonus about it. Because nothing's expected of us, so everything feels like bonus. So it makes it easier because it's not that pressure. It's like the first few months of sobriety when they're like, just do one thing a day. Like don't, and I still live by that motto of yeah. like just do one thing because a lot of times if you just do one thing it kind of you end up doing other things but if you just tell yourself to do one thing it's not crazy well like everything that's positive it becomes addictive you got like once you write the script you're like all right let me work on that song now yeah or whatever it is um but it is a lot of it managing expectations my therapist tells me too which is really good advice is to not beat yourself up over not doing stuff. Just say, I, that was all I was able to do today. Yeah. Like if you, um, you know, read 20 pages from a book and... Uh, made a meal. Made a meal. And then you're like, fuck, I didn't work on this or that. It's like, well, that you weren't able to do that today. You did all you were capable of doing and just accept that. Yeah. Just accept that maybe you're a lazy piece of shit that can't fucking do anything because your parents <laughs> suck. You know. Uh, <laughs> no. That's what we end on. Uh, I'm kidding, of course, but... So you've had some. Ser- no, wait, go. I want to go back to this robbery thing, though. Take us through the beginning, like because you, you're like he had a gun to our face. Where were you? What were you doing? What happens? I was into knitting at the time, and I had a friend that also Nerd. liked knitting. <laughs> I started was doing it because I thought it would help me try to quit smoking. Oh wow. Because it was something to do with your hands. What a and bummer it, to be. It's a very nice, sati- it's satisfying when you do it. I like it. What a bummer to be like, I got to quit smoking. And then a guy robs you at gunpoint. You're like, I'll just do that later. Yeah, it's a sign. Um, so I went with my friend and then I got, we were going to my, I had a fr- high school friend and we reconnected. And then she was like, that sounds great. I'd like to learn how to knit. So I was like, we'll go to have wine and we'll knit. So we went to this area of Houston that was Houston's weird. It has like a great place. And then it's next to a crack house. Right. It's, it's America. It's yeah. the weird zoning over there. So we were by the children's museum area, which has like, it's a nice neighborhood. It's very close to rice village, but you know how bad neighborhoods only take a few blocks to get. It's weird how everything respects boundaries in that way. Yeah. I was talking about that. Like New Haven is like, such a crazy example of like you have Yale where like all every president went there and it's this spectacular and you walk three blocks off and you're like this is the scariest place I've ever been in my life yeah um so we and it was like in the evening time so it was still kind of daylight outside my friend gets out of the car she's waiting for me to get out of the car I was driving we see a guy walking towards us and you know I didn't really think anything of it and then I pull up to meet her and that's where he pulls his gun out and he asks for our um, bags. And then it's so weird. We must have changed positions because then we started fa- where I was like said no to him. We faced. Oh, I know how it happened. We ended up. Yeah, we faced a different direction. So we must have turned or something. He, so he, he was like, give me your stuff. And I was really bummed because I just got the new iPhone. iPhones had just kind of come out. Yeah. And I was, it was like a week old. Oh. So I was so like this. Can I just take my iPhone out? Yeah. (laughs) So he took our bags. Um, and then he goes, uh, I want you to come with me. And then, um, that's when I was like knowing that statistic of like, if you go to a second location, even if it's like right around the corner, yeah, because we were on a street. So there's cars that could drive by any minute. Mm -hmm. He had a Glock. 
yeah. didn't know the term of that. It's a gun. It's a, your standard gun that. Yeah, there's a book called Glock over there, right oh. behind you. I can see it. Nice. And um, uh, yeah. And then he was like, "Give me your, give me your stuff." And then he has to go to the second location, and that's when I was like, "We, I have to be like, no." That's great. Like, what did he say to that? He he goes, "Okay." <laughs> But you know, like now when you think of it, they're also probably adrenaline rushing. Oh, as well. and nervous and scared. Yeah, for sure. So he's committing a fucking felony. He'd go to jail for years. This was also after, like, um, I think we had an influx of New Orleans come in because of Houston was an, a location for a lot of right. people that were off the grid during that time to come for work and all that stuff. So we, and just to, people had to leave New Orleans. So we got an influx of, um, new p- people. And then, uh, so it was just like, uh, he, so I think he was just kind of, he probably was just nervous. And I think a lot of times when people want to do this kind of even crime, like they want it as simple as possible. Of course. Yeah. So any kind of, and then the longer he was going to stay there would have been, and some car was going to drive by at that moment. Yeah. He's also, I don't know how long it took. It probably took a minute at the most. He's also upping his crime into kidnapping. Yeah. As well. Like he's going from, uh, you know, armed robbery to armed robbery and kidnapping. I still wonder to this day of like what we were going to do. Like, was I'm going to have to suck his dick and my friend. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. Or maybe you're going to watch him suck someone else's dick. Like there's already a guy at a different location. <laughs> like I don't, know if i could handle my friend watching me suck some guy's dick no that would be unpleasant um but that's good that you said no and i love that he was like okay i just picture him on a podcast right now being like yeah my lowest point was like i robbed these two women and then they said no and i just took it i was like all right fine well he goes turn around and he made us count and then he uh what a hack left he probably had a car around the corner yeah to pick him up because that makes sense yeah. And did they ever find the guy? Yeah, they did. It was really weird because you know what? I could not tell you, even to this day, he was wearing a hoodie. He had a Glock. Most of the time you're just staring at the gun. Yeah. So you're, I think I remember him wearing like a Bluetooth feature. Fun. Um, That's all I remember. And I could not even tell you any descript, but he had all of our stuff. So he did use it. I, by the time I was able to get home and after filing the police report and talk about it. Um, I got home and I could go online and like cancel stuff, but I saw that he already bought gas wow. with some of my, like the credit cards. So he used it for stuff that he needed. Um, and were you like trembling? Were you able to drive right afterwards? You must've been like in my mode. parents came cause my keys were gone. Oh, my okay. keys were in the bag. So how did you call your parents? Like a payphone? From a house phone. Unfortunately, like at that time, everyone still had landlines. My parents still have the same landline that I had as a kid. So you walked to someone's house and knocked on their door? No, I went, we were at my, close to my friend's apartment. Oh, okay. So then that, we did. And then my friend and I were like, kind of this thing of like, once we realized he had gone, then we were like, oh my God, what is happening? Like we started, like the release of tension had left. Like you're so calm and cool. And then when it's gone, you're just like... It was so crazy. Oh, my God. Now I kind of think it's kind of funny the how we. Yeah. Well, at the time you're in like. You're just like shaking. Yeah. You're in fight, flight or now freeze. They've added. Yeah. And sometimes that's like what happens with um, anxiety and stress is you feel it days later. Because in that moment, you're dealing with that thing. You're in the conversation. You're going, OK, no, I can't. You're computing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not till a couple of days later, which is one of the strange things about anxiety that makes it so mystifying that I'm dealing with in this moment is that like you feel anxiety sometimes days later where you're just like, I just meditated and I'm watching Seinfeld, but I'm freaking out. And it's yeah. like this weird thing where like subconsciously or consciously, you're freaking out about something that happened four days earlier. I never feel stressed. In that moment, I'll usually have maybe like after maybe well, on like on stage, if I feel like I'm getting put in a corner and I'm eating it, all of a sudden my mouth goes dry. And yeah, because you get severe anxiety in airplanes and before shows, you still get performance anxiety. I, yeah, it's real awful. bad. And it's interesting to me because it doesn't even matter how low stakes the show is. Yeah. What do you think that is? I don't know. We're still working that out. <laughs> and then I had to take a break. 
from Alan because I can't afford yeah. it right now. Yeah, you go to the same <laughs> therapist as us. Everyone's familiar with Alan. Yeah, um, people know. Yeah, everyone knows Alan. Almost, I, I would say like half the guests of the show go and see Alan. Yeah. Um, um, but you love He him. thinks it stems from childhood and that uh, like I a lot of things that have happened in my life were dismissed. Right. And so I feel dismissed or not heard. But how does that? And I, so a lack of confidence. Right. And I also now I care about what people think. Yeah, it's a weird thing because it's hard not to care about what the audience thinks. Because that's the job. You need the audience to like you. Well, basically, he's like, from what I gathered, is that the audience is my mom. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and I need them to be like my dad. Right. I need this approval. See, it's interesting to me because I desperately seek the approval of my parents but that makes me nervous when i'm with them yeah like when i'm going to hang out with my parents i'm nervous and shaking when i'm on stage i'm like well fuck these people i'm gonna rip these people up yeah i don't i don't know how i still don't see it in that way but i do know that every decision a lot of the times that i make like if i want to buy a couch i'm always like when my mom like this yes i have that too and i'm thinking about so whatever I'm talking about, I'm like, oh, I think my mom would hate this, what I'm doing. But actually, she's a little bit more open than my dad was, especially in the later years. Yeah, your mother's very funny and she has a dark sense of humor. Yeah, She'll darker like, than my dad. Yeah, but he's very funny too. Both your parents are very funny. Yeah. But And your parents never came and saw you perform. They did in the beginning and then when I was at the worst... <laughs> <laughs> yeah they but they sent me flowers and they were like we were really proud of you up there that's great that's beautiful i haven't um, got any flowers and then uh they stopped going and i don't ever want them to go i don't really feel like i can be myself while i'm on stage i do it because you have to you know what i mean you're like these are the jokes i wrote and back then they were probably darker and dirtier wait what do you mean you feel like you can't be yourself when you're on stage or you can't be yourself in front of your parents both Oh, that's tough. Well, like, I don't know. There's times where my mom's like, Sarah, why do you find that funny? Right. Yeah. She can be judgmental towards that stuff. Yeah. Well, but to me, you're yourself when you're with your parents, but you're just not showing one side of you. That doesn't mean it's not necessarily yourself. I feel like, like if I'm, well, I can't be full me. Right. Right. Like you can't <laughs> like when I'm hanging out with, um, certain people whoever they are like your parents i wouldn't say cunt in front of your parents yeah but i still feel like i'm being myself i'm just yeah. not saying cunt yes um but there's something you want to talk about openly and also humorously and then i just feel like i don't know but maybe we have a thing because we have a thing of like our Parents should love us no matter what, no matter what we say or do, because just by the nature of us being their children. Yeah. But I guess we didn't get that feeling always, maybe, or something. No, I get, well, there's like an emptiness that's happened and I'm using comedy to fulfill it. Oh, of course. Yeah. So when it doesn't go my way, it feels awful. Yeah, of course. So you're worried that it's not going to go well and then that'll be the judgment. I mean, if it doesn't go well, and that's my value. You're a piece of shit. Yeah. yeah. Where like comedy shouldn't be your value. See, I have th I think this is why I don't get performance anxiety so much is that I'm like if this doesn't go well, they're fucking idiots. Oh, I use it as like they're the if they're not liking me, there's something horrifically wrong with me. Yeah, see that's that's the issue. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be like these people are fucking morons but that being said somehow if they're not laughing in the audience i'm like well they don't get it or sometimes i've gotten better now i'm like maybe they got something going on or they don't there's a language barrier or they're dealing with their own thing that's more of a buddhist approach i guess yeah. but then i have people tweet at me this is what i've been dealing with this is where my current anxiety comes from it's just a few people on twitter saying you suck or you're a piece of shit or whatever it is it makes know. me fucking crazy that one, I I will feel bad about it, but it won't last as long as eating it at a show or having a bad show experience. Yeah, I guess. I don't know why, even though they feel like they should be the same. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I get it. But I've been getting it. Like, this is why I, I got to take a break from 
social media as much as possible because it's such a fucking horrific cesspool. And I had a traumatic event last Saturday where I promoted my friend's special and <laughs> I've had people, people don't care for him. Apparently uh, Joe's a really bad person. Yeah. So you're just a bad person. And this is Which what is I, an unfair statement. Of, of course. <laughs> Thank you. Your, your statement's an understatement, I would hope. <laughs> um, I would like to think you think I'm a great person. No, you but. are a good person, but I just feel like I hate that these people work in black and whites. No, they're horrible. And it's it's just Twitter itself. Instagram, there's so much less of it. But tw- the problem with Twitter is it uh, like systematically uses like a computer to send things to people that they'll hate, myself included. I get these things of being like a 28-year-old with no prior health problems just died. And it's not someone I follow. It's just like, you guys just gave this to me. Yeah, yeah. Stop it. Like you like they I don't understand that. I do not understand how Twitter has shows you tweets of people that you're not even following cuz maybe someone that you are liked it. Yeah, someone you liked like, it. There's a reason why I'm following and not following people. Exactly. And then you've read an article that's associated like they see I've googled fucking underlying health condition do people die and so they go well here's someone he googled this i mean that's what's creepy and obviously it's been talked about a lot is like our phones know us better than we know each other like your phone has a better understanding of you than i do because it's like you're typing your thoughts directly into it yeah that's what google searches of course yeah it's crazy all your what you're searching for is actually all your thoughts so your phone is reading your mind they know exactly it's actually really impressive data that they pull up they know you to a t i mean just look at your instagram ads it's on point no it's weird yeah i got one the other day for how to make your dick smaller because they know <laughs> uh they know i have a what huge you've been searching cock. for um but yeah so that part i have to get rid of and somehow it's like these people that are literally they're just like trolls they have a fake name and a fake face right stuff and i get into it with them about their politics or whatever. And yeah. it's just, and now, now I, I get it from both sides, which I should connect to and be proud of. I should be like, I'm, we're putting ourselves out there and uh, taking whatever a stance, as stupid as that sounds, or whatever. We believe in something and we're representing what we believe in. Yeah. But it is a, it is a bummer and it takes uh, the fun. It makes you want to just quit and leave and go live in the woods. Yeah. Well, that's why I think I like doing um, online content better than shows see we're the complete opposite yeah just because i have a better easier time of blocking people out and not dealing with them as much as like a show because it doesn't feel like like in a show when somebody's like not into you all of a sudden it feels like work right here you're just like you're out yeah i can't kick people out of shows no one ever lets me do that Right. Well, it's, I think, well, my thing issue a lot of the times with so what I deal with on social media is not even people being like, you suck. It's people saying stuff that's like not true. And then I have a debate as though I make the mistake of debating with people as though they're going to be like, oh, OK, that's a good point. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. And instead, I should be like, oh, these people are living in an alternative reality. That doesn't... Well, it's like I showed you. That's why I like that RuPaul quote. Oh, yeah. What was that one again? I don't know. Look <laughs> it up. Let me read it. I'll get it really fast if I can find my phone. Um, I don't know where my phone is. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's about it's, people that are dumb. Yeah. Avoid people that are dumb. Don't try to. And don't try them. to educate. Just walk away and. Yeah. It's not your responsibility to teach them. Yeah, that's what I got to work on. But the phone is such an addiction because, as it's been talked about, it's like food addiction. You need to eat. Like I need my phone. I communicate with my phone, and it's also my weather app and my alarm clock and all that yeah, shit. Yeah, your emails and how people contact you. And it's also, it's nice because I enjoy hearing from people that say the podcast is great. But if you're enjoying the podcast, email me, joelistcomedy at gmail. If, it, if the podcast, if you have something really nice to contribute, because I'm going to try to look at the Twitter and Instagram less. But um, it's definitely frustrating. We let other people, I think you and I have a similar issue of being disconnected from um, reality and um, how we... Um, Relate to how we let other people dictate how we feel about ourselves. I let it all the time. It's so crazy. Like, I think we talked about it. And my friend Ashley, who, you know, she's a comic as well. She had a story that made me laugh so hard of over at a friend's house. And this new girl in the group, I think she was a roommate of somebody. 
they were playing a game or something and Ashley had brought up or like something like countries in Africa and Ashley was Egypt and this girl was like um <laughs> Egypt is not a country in Africa and she said it with such strong conviction even though it's obvious it's like one of the first things you ever learn in social studies when you're a kid yeah it's like because it's like one of the first civilizations that you ever learn about and you know exactly where it is like you could probably point egypt on a map more than any other state probably it's funny to be like um what what is it in europe (laughs) (laughs) is it in south america well that's what ashley's like well, if it's not in Africa, where do you think it is? And she's like, well, it's not in Africa. And she was so strong in her conviction. And Ashley knew, but she still went to the bathroom and just Googled it really fast, which makes me laugh. And we've talked about this before. I have a bit about that. Where these people that are so stupid can be so confident that it shakes you to the core. Yeah. And it makes you for a brief moment when you know fine well that you are right. Of course. I mean, that's what we're dealing with now on a grand scale. Yeah. And again, I won't get too into specifics, so I don't have to <laughs> fucking deal with people. But, but that's, that's what we're happening. Fact. Of course. Yeah. And that's what's happening on a grand scale. And then millions of people are like, yeah, he didn't say that. He was He wonderful. did not say that. Yeah. And you're like, what? But... I digress, but, and then it makes you angry. And in reality, you should go, we should be like, oh, these people are sad. And this is more of an AA and Buddhist way of looking at it is like, oh, these people are some, I should pray for these people. This is something, there's something wrong. They're misguided. They don't understand. Yeah, but then um, they're voting. Reality. Well, I'm trying to move off the political part, <laughs> but into like a person, Egypt is not in Africa. I mean, I mean, Egypt yeah. is in Africa. Yeah. And uh, he did say that. Or that did happen, whatever it is. I mean, I have that. I have a, the bit about it about the guy, the cab driver saying that Dallas Fort Worth Airport is bigger than Maine. Yeah. And I was like, this guy's a moron. And after 30 seconds, I'm like, shit, maybe I got to look this up. But like, and then you're like, then you're mad at yourself for being like, why did you think? Why did I double guess myself? Yeah. Um, so that's what I get annoyed about. Yeah. But it's like that in stand up where you're like, I just love this. And I had that one like in when you're in a room for like sketch comedy when I did that for a little while. There's some people that have like the strongest convictions about their stuff. And you're like, this is dog shit. And you know, it's dog shit. And then finally, when it goes on stage, it eats it. And you're and then you find out you voice your opinion. And then everyone in the group is like, yeah, I didn't like it either. And then you're like, why didn't we say anything? Right. It's also where ego comes in too where you want to be like hey why don't you apologize to us for doing that for making that piece of shit thing and that's where like i have ego. like we talk about this and uh we were talking about it earlier like our friend was saying i wake up every morning with uh like ego anger and resentment that's how i start my day which is nothing with social media i start my day going into social media just waiting to read something that angers me yeah, or um, riles you up or, i do that on with social not social media but like I tend to watch stuff that I don't like that person that I yeah. try to make it into a bit of like, instead of YouTube being like, um, instead of like you, since you like this, you'll like this. It should just be like, since you hate watch this, then you're really going to fucking hate this. Well, I think part of that, go, yeah, <laughs> part of that is another therapy thing. And I've been doing that a lot with this situation. The pandemic is that you have anger in the way it's been handled and sadness in people dying and also like missing out on all these fun plans and like all this stuff we worked towards to create a life of whatever it was shows or travel. We had a vacation or seeing our family, seeing loved ones, making money and all these things get canceled. The wrench is thrown in it. So it's very sad and it's very upsetting. And so you want to focus this energy on something And so I'll go through Twitter until I find somebody saying something that is categorically false and then just be angry. Look at this. Because it puts that energy towards this anger instead of just feeling the sadness that I should just feel and connect with. And that's where mindfulness comes in is just feeling the sadness and anxiety of like, oh, I'm afraid and I'm sad. Instead of finding something to be angry about, which anger, there's a lot of things to be angry about. But um, just to notice that I'm angry, I'm sad, or I'm lonely, or I'm scared. And those are like natural feelings that uh, we should connect to instead of being mad at some fucking idiot's tweet. I know. Maybe you should, instead of like trying to find something that you'll hate in the morning, you should find something that you like. Like maybe listen to a song. 
well, or like a video that makes you happy. That's what's interesting, though. I do. I mean, I watch Seinfeld. I have my peanut butter bagel, and it's nice. <laughs> but the brain, and there's all these studies about this. Those things don't hook on as well for whatever because the brain, and I say this every week, is like a problem solving muscle. Yeah. Like the brain is not. Uh, like you, you, the natural thing is not to do, be like, this is all great. This is really awesome. Your brain is like looking out for your well-being. So it's like, well, we got to find a danger to focus yeah, on. Yeah, so because, we can survive. Yeah, it's like a weird survival mechanism. And I always say it as like your brain's job is to solve problems. So if there's not a problem, it comes up with problems to yeah. solve. And it's much easier to see that in someone else where both of us will say, I'm afraid of this or worried about this. And you're like, well, that's not something to be worried about. Yeah. Um, it's harder to see it with yourself. But we're working on it. We got to uh, wrap up here. I got to call the Ron Bennington show. Speaking of something that brings joy. Yeah, he brings joy. He is a joyful Such a great human. person. Yeah, great and guy. And really funny on stage. Incredibly funny and kind. And uh, our dinner with him on the cruise, the Impractical Jokers cruise with him and his wife was... So nice. Delightful. Even though it took 90 minutes for our food to come. And it cost $5,000. And it, we suspect it might have been the food from downstairs at the buffet. Oh, it was 100 Repurposed on a plate. Yeah, we went to a steakhouse <laughs> and got food from the buffet, the free buffet. But uh, yeah, he's a special guy. And I'm going to call him right now. Sarah, why don't you plug all your business? Follow me on Instagram at Stolomash, S-T-O-L-L-E-M-A-C-H-E. And write fucking nice things. Yeah. And Twitter. But I'm trying to build my Instagram up. Because that's what matters. Because <laughs> there's not vicious fucking animals on there. <laughs> you want to go to, you know, I'm into TikTok for nice, nice stuff. I'm learning how to make yummy coffee drinks and tutorials on how to get good at dancing. Yeah, I should get on it, I guess. But I'm trying to pull back. I know, like so I can't addicting. get into a new thing. I'm trying so hard to like, I want to smash my phone into pieces and throw it up my ass. I'm learning how to take really neat photos. Yeah, that's fun. Um, okay, so on Twitter and then Vag Podcast. V A D G E. Oh yeah, listen to on Vag with Adrian Appalucci. Yeah, so do that. And um, thanks for listening. I would plug dates, but I have uh, no dates. So um, check out the show. You can email me at joelistcomedy at gmail. Um, and thanks for listening. And tell some friends. That's the best thing you can do for um, this podcast is go tell people that this was really helpful and nice and interesting and fun and relaxing. And a lot of people have done that. And uh, I appreciate it. And we are going to be on YouTube soon, just audio, but it'll be on YouTube. I know a lot of people can't figure out how to listen to a podcast. So, but that's me being angry again. Um, so thank you guys very much. Take care of each other. Stay in as much as you can. Wash your hands and uh, your be nice. And what's that? You wash your butthole. And wash your butthole. Yeah. And um, eat your uh, wife's butthole. <laughs> Sarah won't let me <laughs> eat her butthole. But um, thank you for listening. I love you and I appreciate you. Bye. Mindful Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List. Produced by Joe List. Edited by Matt Kleinschmidt. Executive producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcasts.